When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel O'Connor. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel here with Joel Kahn and Dennis Dick out again today. Uh, it's Fat Tuesday, uh, celebratory day. Will the market celebrate? That will be, of course, the question. It looks like by the dip has worked a little bit. We stopped going down, at least for now. So we'll talk about the sentiment heading into today's session. Uh, a lot of earnings on our radar as well. Two guests on the docket for the day, both options focused. So it is options day on the show. The first guest, Dimitri Pargamanic. He is the co-founder of Market Chameleon. He will join us at 8.15 and at 8.35. We'll be joined by Nick Shaheen from Create Income with Option Spreads. In the meantime, Joel, what is the word here in the overnight session? Ah, Technical Tuesday here on the S&P 500 index futures. Pre-market high made around 8.30 last night at 59.50. That's two ticks off your inner day high from Monday. Big level on the upside. Pre-market low, 14 and a quarter. That was made in the first minute off that 6 p.m. open. That's a real great area. Uh, that coincides with your low on January 31st at 12.75. And also Monday's low, that came in right at that area as well at 14 and a quarter. It's just crazy, you know, uh, how the buy the dip mentality. I was reading an article in, in the journal just to, uh, they always find, that you know how they always find like the most random retail investors for everything? For every article, the journal can find an investor off the street to talk to them. And uh, they're, they're just talking to random people about how, yeah, they're going to buy the dip today and they couldn't wait to buy and they couldn't get into their platform to buy because Schwab and Fidelity were, they had outages because the volume was uh, unusually high and they, they, they were trying to buy, but they couldn't, but they would have bought if they could. And it, it's just crazy uh, how every dip seems to be bought to an extent, you know? Well, uh, it's worked. Right. Uh, For the last 10 years. Um, I once again, when I mean, it's such a generality to talk about a retail investor or investors, of course, find the dip. Sure. But, you know, I think it all and we try and talk about this on on the show. I know we have um, investors that are, you know, big day traders and scalpers and option traders. We have swing traders. We have long-term investors. So it's all about your investing time horizon. And, uh, you know, so just try and keep that in perspective. I think uh, some of my best trades or some of my best long-term are things that I don't look at. 
and then just kind of, you know, sometimes that could be a bad thing. Right. But, uh, you know, what you see on the screen can be deceiving, especially since uh, between 9.30 and 4. Uh, if you look at the trading action from yesterday, I believe we opened up at 32 and a half. And probably between the interday ranges, we probably had 150, 160 points worth of ranges. And we ended up settling within three points of that opening print. So it's hard trying to tune out the noise, tune out the tweets, tune out the virus, and uh, have yeah, a long term. Especially game on Twitter, right? Because for every uh, panic headline, there is somebody who is reading that and panicking, and there is somebody else who is like, oh, you guys are just trying to make me panic and make me afraid, and I'm not. I, I know that the market's going up, and, and, and I'm not scared of this, and I'm not scared of that. So it's just it, – it's just it, – it's really – obviously, it's really hard to get a feel for the sentiment from Twitter. But it's just one of those things where it's sort of it, – it's almost unbelievable. It's almost unbelievable how um, – how relentless uh, this market can be at times. And we, we talked yesterday. Uh, yesterday was felt like it was a long time coming, right? We, we were waiting for a big down day. We got it. Um, and I guess uh, the word you're looking for is capitulation. Yeah. And you get capitulation on the upside and the downside. Uh, like I, I just am really comfortable with the, you know, the numbers and the levels today. You have a potential triple bottom in place that January 31st low okay. match the last two days. So, you know, sometimes I say, oh, we're just going to thrash it out between those two levels. And, you know, we bust out one way or another. But uh, big gap over, uh, overhead in the S&Ps that we need to fill. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of air. But uh, the market will do what the market do. It seems like over the weekends – when you get that, you know, you get the bad news over the weekends. And we definitely got some bad news over the weekend. The market, it digested it. Really not much bad news overnight. And, um, you know, we're back to a little bit more of a normal market today. All right. So let's, yeah, let's get to some of the stocks that had good days yesterday uh, in the S&P 500. It was, a, it was a down day for nearly everybody with a couple of exceptions. One of them being Gilead. And we've talked about this on the show. Uh, they have their drug they're developing for coronavirus symptoms, and I guess they're making progress on that. And there may be they may be in the lead in terms of developing a uh, some sort of treatment uh, for the coronavirus. And investors love it. They were looking for something to buy yesterday, and they bought that. Uh, the Buster read my stock of the day article yesterday. Uh, that was on uh, Gilead. Yeah. Um- the stock in need of a catalyst, right? They kind of hurt themselves uh, by, you know, being too good of a drunk company and curing hepatitis right. C. Uh, they did have tried to buy growth with the various companies. Uh, and I guess the street just told them, hey, you know, if you're going to cure something, you better have something else in your pipeline. And they don't. So now here you go. Something in their pipeline. Uh, potential. I have no idea how effective it's going to be. You have no idea how long it's going to take to get approved. But in this fundamental, you know, lack of fundamental, you know, catalyst-driven market, who cares, right? Who right. cares? Space can go to, you know, from five bucks to fifty. Why can't you know Gilead make an exaggerated move? So, uh, you know, we hopefully the virus is contained. Hopefully, there's a cure found. Uh, trading up in the pre-market trading here. Uh, trading up a buck fifteen, but you still haven't cleared the high from yesterday. So seventy four fifty two. You're looking through uh, follow through in that area, and then I was also doing some other technicals. I see, you know, really the major breakout would be up over eighty. 
Uh, but we'll see what happens at uh, the previous day's high in Gilead. G-I-L-D trading up a buck 28 at 74.18. And if, if Gilead is not leading the race, maybe it is Moderna, M-R-N-A. They, re, they delivered their vaccine uh, to, uh, uh, or for four clinical trials yesterday. And the Wall Street Journal had a very uh, detailed article on that scoop. Uh, so let's look at mRNA here. I mean, how long is it going to take to get approved? How many people are actually going to have it? I mean, a lot of different factors here. Uh, people got real excited on this one. Obviously, when there was news before, 2395 is where they took it up to. On February 10th, you settled back in, back up now. Uh, I'm not not going to figure your 50% retracement, but you folks at home could figure that out. Are you going to run into overhead supply here at 2150? Uh, that's filling a gap when it whooshed down on the 11th. So your gap fill is at 2128. You're doing that. After, th after that, things open up to 2274. And where did you get to in pre-market trading? You got over that at 5 a.m. You hit 2328. So this is called 23 bucks. If you can keep this going, uh, 23 would be next potential area of resistance with the high of the move being at 23.95. All right, uh, about four minutes before we go to our first guest. Let's go to Regeneron though before we forget. Yeah, We're staying on right. this drug stuff. Yeah, okay. So there's a couple more. There is Regeneron, and then I, we we should also do Clorox while we're at it. <laughs> No, we're going through no, the stocks. No, I know, I know. I'm laughing because it's true. I mean, sometimes these simple things just work in the market. Well, well Regeneron had actual drug news yesterday. Okay. Uh, so that's that. That was the catalyst for uh, for for that move. They they uh, reported uh, an, an approval for a uh, a drug. Their drug is a competitor uh, to a Novartis drug, and uh, it got a, they report approval for it and. That was Kettles. 4.42 was your monthly high in March of 2019. You're creeping towards that area right now, just kind of itching up. Uh, so keep an eye on that 9.29 and 59 second high. You look for follow through for that and then see what happens at 4.42. And then Clorox, which you're laughing at because it's simple. But <laughs> I... I don't know why. I, I mean, I don't know why it was up. You want to say it was up because people were buying Clorox yes. and disinfectant? Okay, yes. sure. Yes. That, that sounds plausible. Yep. Uh, Clorox, uh, nice day, new all-time high. Uh, 168.50 is where you're trading. That's up a buck 31. So you're getting follow-through in this one. Uh, you briefly touched uh, 169. Since it's oh, very light volume on this one, I don't know if JV Spec is uh, in the house today. Um, Let's see if there's any size there at 169. This is not a heavily traded stock, but let's see. Your volume from yesterday was a couple million. Oh, a rally on double, oh, almost triple the previous day's volume. So, and a stock like that, if you see, you know, 150, 200K, 250K, that's a pretty, pretty big order. So we'll see if there's any size in that. Obviously, no size of Clorox, according to JV Spec. Uh, so there you are, your first target, 169, and then whatever your target's above that, 170, 171, 172, 200. All right, let's do Mallinckrodt before we go to our guest. Uh, over uh, 2 million shares have traded of M&K this morning. They had earnings. I'll give you the numbers, but there is some news in addition to the earnings at the street. Clearly loves this morning, so the earnings per share 
was good at two dollars and forty cents for two dollars and five cents sales 804 million for 772 million so a nice beat for Malincrot last quarter but more importantly they have reached an agreement in principle that will resolve all opioid related claims against the company uh, in this deal the plaintiffs will receive 1.6 billion dollars so they appear to have resolved all the litigation against them related to the opioid epidemic in the u.s wow uh well up a buck 58 at 575 quite a bit off your uh your pre-market bump so we'll be using 745 as a target here you have backed off a buck 60 buck 75 off that so could be running into supply overhead supply of this in this one yesterday i might i might unfollow the guy that uh i saw him tweet about them filing for bankruptcy because that turned out to be a, the low of the move yeah. uh yeah i don't know i mean this company's just, i don't how much is the settlement how much cash do they have how much debt do they have 1.6 billion dollars is the settlement okay um so uh, horrible looking chart i don't know if you want to buy this one buyer beware uh, they actually might be filing for Chapter 11. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I haven't looked into this entirely, but it's it's complicated. There's a settlement. There's some more legalese involved. So do your do your own research. Uh, but the street is loving the news on Malincrot, uh this morning here. Uh, it is 8.15. I would have liked to bring on our first guest of the day. His name is Dimitri Pargamatic. He is the co-founder of a platform uh, I like. It's called Market Chameleon, and I'll bring him on now. Uh, Dimitri, uh, good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks, guys, for having me on the show. Thanks for uh, coming on today, Dimitri. Uh, tell us briefly your background. I know you've got a lot of experience in the, in the options markets. Tell us about that. Sure. Thanks. And so before we started the Market Chameleon website, what we were, what you call, we're market makers. We're members of the exchange. And if you pull up an options chain, you're going to see bids and offers for different options. And most likely, those are market-making quotes. And they provide liquidity in the absence of, if there's, of course, a limit order from a customer, that would take priority. But in the absence of liquidity, that's what market makers did. And just to make a long story short, Eventually, what happened was the exchanges that used to be member-owned, they demutualized and became public entities, and that diminished kind of the role of the members. So we, so after that, we took a look and thought, you know what, there's really not enough data for options traders out there, at least the way we look at options and analyze the options, and we thought that that would be a really good niche. So that's how we kind of got into uh, creating Market Chameleon. And so explain what exactly it is. And beyond that, though, who is it for? Right. So really, we, we are mostly options-based. You know, we have stock analytics, mostly options-based. And it's really for people who love trading options. It's for options traders. You know, if you like to trade, if you like to look at probabilities, if you like to look at expected values versus price and how far the price diverged from expected value, if you like to look at the markets and trade them, uh, in different ways, not just uh, directional, but maybe, but volatility, or you're looking to uh, structure structure strategies that can profit from a range of different prices. That, that's who we're building it. The, the community who really loves to trade options, love, loves to look at probabilities, to analyze data, uh, looks look at financial models. Uh, I want to 
pull up a, a, uh, a couple of slides you were kind enough to send our way and uh, just explain exactly how you approach and how you think about the options market. Sure. So are you putting up the slider? Just move on. Yep, I got it. Yep. So the, the main things, you know, when I, when I look at options and a lot of uh, options traders, when they look, they, they think in terms of probabilities, what are the odds? You know, so when you're looking at, you, you don't think really, is it going to go, do I know if it's going to go up or down? You think, you know, what do, what I think is likely going to happen? What is the probability of this stock reaching this price or that price, you know, within a certain time period? Also, we look at estimated values versus price. Like, what do we think something is worth and how far away did the price diverge from its estimated value? And that's like one thing I might talk about today. The other thing is we look at risk and reward. And as, as traders, we always look at, you know, what do I think my potential return on the investment is and what is my risk? So, you know, you, you, you would look at what is, how much can I return for the unit of risk that I'm taking? Um, and, and then you would structure your, your uh, strategy around your potential output. So if you just go, and a lot of people ask me, well, can you simplify that, right? Because if you didn't work, if you've never worked with financial models, you say, well, what does that mean? You know, how do you get an expected value of something? So, so in, in an attempt to simplify, I start out with trying to draw an analogy of something that everybody might have experience with, right? And if you were looking like for, for at a house and you're buying a house and you're thinking like the current price is 200,000, am I getting a good deal? Am I overpaying? Am I way out of range? So your realtor or your appraiser, you know, your mortgage company, what they might do is look at the historical prices, the most recent prices. And I have an example over here, like what are the last prices? 215,000, 200,000, 225,000. So you get these list of prices and what you do is say, okay, what is the average, right? So I see that the average house sold in this neighborhood for 210,000. So if I'm buying it for 200, I'm kind of, we would say that's below expected value, below its average, right? So it's like you're getting this $10,000 we call an edge or 5% edge. And then this win rate, what, what I call here is say, well, how, how many, how often did it, did it, trade or sell above 200,000. So we could see, you know, 215,000 was above, 200,000 that's equal, 225 above. So here you see four out of six, approximately 66% of the houses have sold above this current price. And that's how you would start building a financial model to evaluate how far is the price away from the expected value. Does that make sense? Right, right, yeah. So how do we translate that to an option, right? And if you go to that next slide, I'll kind of give you a simplified version of what, what how you do that in an option. Let's, let's say in an option, usually what you have is you have a stock price and then you have an option with a strike price. And so here I give an example of like a call with a strike price of 110, the stock's 100. So you see here that for that, you know, for that option, to be in the money, you know, to be worth to at expiration something, the stock has to increase by more than 10%, right? And let's say you have 14 days to go and the current market price for this option is a dollar. So are you getting a good deal or not a good deal? So how would we go about pricing that option? So there are two things we know that if the if in that 14 days, if the stock's below 110, if it doesn't increase by 10% or more, 
right? That option will be worthless at expiration, right? It expires, it's worthless. If that stock does increase above 110 or by more than 10%, that option will have a value depending how high it goes, right? So what we don't know is the probability of that happening, right? We don't know for sure if that stock is gonna be, be not increased by 10% or less or go above 10%. So what we do, just like an insurance company to estimate, we look at that historical data and say, well, how often does that happen in a 14 day period for this stock? So one thing we might wanna do is look at our data. And I just kind of just put out three observations there, but you know, you'd look like four years of data or six years of data, whatever, whatever you look at and say, okay, observation one, the stock in 14 days increased 5%. That means that this stock will go to 105. That's not enough. This option will be worthless, zero. The observation two, the stock increased 15%. That means the stock would be at 115. Under that scenario, this option will be worth $5, right? It goes 115 strikes 110, $5. Uh, observation three, the stock goes down 5%. That means the stock will be at 95. This option will be worth zero. So you keep doing that over and over. And like, if you just slide one more time, this is how you would estimate, you know, a simplified version to paint it. So let's just say my data shows that in a 14 day hold period, 70% of the time, the stock doesn't increase by 10%. You know, it's less than 10%. That means 70% of the time, historically, this option would be worthless, zero. 30% of the time, it did increase by over 10%. And let's just say on average, by 15%, so the average price of that option would be worth $5. So what's the expected value of the option? 70% times zero plus 30% times $5, we get the long-term expected value of $1.50. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. You guys, right? So when I compare that you know, to the current option price of a dollar, to me that looks like it's, it's undervalued, potentially undervalued, right? By 50 cents or 50% edge. So as, a, as an options trader, that might interest me, right? Especially if I have a bullish outlook, but that type of stuff would interest me. And that's kind of where, how we build, you know, we built the website around helping analyze because otherwise it's very difficult to spot an opportunity. If you're just looking at an options chain, all you see is prices, right? Right. You see and offers. How do you how do you, how do you filter out, and how do you look at strategies that have like really good potential return on your investment? So, and that's what I wanted to go to. Is, is one of the reasons why why I like the site is as I pull it up right now. Just uh, you've got a few rather than, rather than look at look at an options chain and have to just decipher for yourself. You've got three ideas here. I just searched for Costco. Costco reports earnings next, I believe, next Thursday. I want to say. Uh, so you got three IDs here based on the historical prices uh, and the current prices. Three options ideas, uh, but uh, on, on Costco. I was hoping you could, you could sort of walk us through what what we're looking at with each of these little cards here. Right. So what so what what would happen here is it would look historically at just earnings periods, right? So how did the how did the site just just a similar uh, you know how how I just showed you on the historical data, then it would just take the historical data around earnings and look at all the option prices and see what combination of prices look the best. So in this situation, you see like credit iron butterfly, the first one, and the market price for that right now is 754. We think based on uh, the, his the historical data, it's theoretical is 
$5.97. So here you're actually selling. So you want to sell above. That's your, that, you know, when you're, when you're selling something, getting a credit, you want to sell it above the theoretical value, right? And here are the links. So, so that in this situation, you would be, um, you're selling, you're selling this put spread and selling this call spread. So I don't know if you see my mouse, uh, but below will tell you like the strikes. Uh, so you see you're buying, buying a 305 puts on the 315 puts on the 315 call, buying the 325 call. Right, down there. Got it. Got it. And then what it does is that per edge, the percentage edge is just converting how much, how much uh, did the price deviate from the, from the expected value divides it by the risk and that's your expect, you know, your, your edge in percentage terms. The win rate 63% is saying that if you did this trade historically for, with the same, you know, in the, in the same circumstances around earnings, the same days to expiration, the strikes with the same distance away from the spot price, 63% of the time, this would have resulted uh, in a profit. And then it goes on to the iron butterfly, I have bear call spread. Right. So, and so these are, just to be clear, these are like th the top three. By edge. Uh, right. So, so, if you, so if you if you take that strategy, you see that little um, right above it where it says top three by edge. So that's top three by just the edge number. If you, if you put that drop down, you can do it by win rate and so forth. Right. So okay. when you're looking at options, one thing is I think people start to tend, tend to go to win rates, right? They want to win a lot. But the win rate alone doesn't really tell you that much. You really want to look at edge and win rate together. And I'll give you an example. Like, let's say you had a wheel, right, with 10 numbers. And I told you any number from one to nine, if it lands at any number from one to nine, one, two, three, four, five, I'll give you a dollar, right? But if it lands on 10, you give me $100. So you see there, your win rate is 90%, right? One, you, you know, you got nine out of 10 chance of winning. It lands on 10, right? You pay me $100. So your expected return, your edge is negative. So that's why it's very important to look at both. So I, uh, the other thing I use you guys for is this table that I'm going to pull up right now, which is a table of historical uh, earnings uh, patterns or historical earnings moves uh, in stocks before during and after their earnings report. So this is Salesforce. This is a table of Salesforce. Salesforce reports after the close today. Um, and so this is just a table that shows how CRM trades. Uh, one day, two days, three days, a week, two weeks after its report, what its opening gap is the day of earnings. So that would, that would be tomorrow morning. Um, and just a lot of historical patterns, historical movement based on the stock's previous 12 quarters exactly right and that's how you would end with when you're when you're looking at an earnings you want to look at the historicals and see like the 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 range of possibilities range of returns it had historically to try to strategize around that so what we see here is that historically it tended to gap 67 percent of the time it gapped higher at right after the earnings at the open then what i'm what i'm also seeing is that it tended after the open, the drift from the open to the close tended to, you know, then to drift lower, right? So 58% of the time it drifted lower after the opening. Uh, I also see that the absolute average uh, move, if you look down there, was 3.3% at the opening. That's the gap move. Uh, so what it's doing is taking all the, all the moves, converting them to positive moves 
and taking the average. So I see that that's 3.3% and then the move, the average move to the close is 2.2%. So what it's telling me is that the, the magnitude of the move, most of it is at the open and then it kind of closes it. Right. And uh, the reason I, I like this is obviously we can look at expected moves ahead of time, but I've never seen enough, uh, the information displayed this way where it's like, okay, if I want to try to look at how a Salesforce can, how does Salesforce historically react to which earnings reports, uh, I can look at the last uh, three years here essentially and, and just yep. say, okay, yeah, historically, uh, uh, Salesforce, uh, it goes a it goes up more often than not after earnings the average move after one day is like 0.6 percent uh and that color is how i should sort of think about this stock heading into earnings uh today after the close uh dimitri before i let you go any ideas for us for the next couple days or couple weeks so yeah and i've been getting actually a lot of questions about you know people are getting kind of nervous that like how do i play a bear, you know, in case, in case the market goes down, how do I play like a bearish uh, play on the on the on the market? And really, for me, I I usually I I do simple things like stick to vertical spreads, and I, I can't you know I can't give advice. You guys put that disclaimer in, but um, if you look, you know, if you just look at, uh, at the at the landing page, and you know, you see like bullish ideas, bearish ideas, and and for example, like the bearish ideas, it's looking same thing for edge, but it takes out it looks for stocks that have already been weak right before the, even before the sell off. Right. So like it looks at the technical analysis and looks that, you know, 20 days below the 50 day, 50 days below the 200, the stock has been below all the moving averages. And the idea there is that um, if you're playing bearish, if the market goes down and you're already playing bearish on the weak stocks, they might go down even faster. And if we get a sell, if we get a pop back, you know, usually, the, the best stocks get bought first, right? So they're gonna lag the rally. You're not gonna see, you know, the idea is that they're already weak and people, if, if that's, you know, if we have a sell-off and let's say, you know, they introduce a stimulus, we get a pop, those will will be, will tend to lag the other market, the, the other stocks. Right, right, got it. All right, uh, Dimitri, thank you so much for the time today and uh, uh, have, yeah. uh, be, be safe in these markets, I guess. Great, thanks guys. Thanks for being on the show. Great information. All right. A lot to get to here. Uh, Joel, where do you want to start? We have earnings out the wazoo. We've covered yeah. Things. What about uh, the, um, the store you used to work at, Macy's? <laughs> I used to work at It's true. I worked there for like four months. Yeah. Did you get fired? No, I didn't get fired. Come I did not get fired. I No, I, uh, no, I quit. Uh, uh, Macy's reporting this morning the uh, just EPS was good, two dollars and twelve cents for a buck ninety six estimate. Sales also beat eight point three three versus eight point three two billion dollars. Their guidance, EPS guidance for the year, uh, mid two dollar range is a little bit light. Sales guidance for the year, uh, mid to high twenty three billion dollar range, also light. So light on their guidance and strong on their uh, earnings for Macy's. Ran into some overhead supply. Uh, you've given back a lot of those gains. You ripped up to 1678. And what do you have here? Your three and four day high, 
1685 and 1666 and 1689. So you, oh, and another 1665. So if you were out there going into that quad top, you got something off here. I don't expect Macy's to go back up to that area. Anything can happen in this market, but uh, already faded a, a buck seventy off the pre-market high. Uh, for this one, you'd had a big range uh, in the pre-market session, still holding yesterday's low at 15 and a quarter. And I think if I got short beyond 15 and a quarter, I don't know how far we can go here. We had another low at, I see a matching low from December 16 to 15 and a quarter, another low at 15, 17 on the 13th and 15 and a quarter on December 12th. So I think we got that one covered. Uh, let's do Palo Alto Networks getting cracked here this morning. And Joel, how many downgrades did you say they had? Four downgrades. Well, that'll happen after a, a report wow. like this as I pull the chart up on the screen. They reported yesterday after the close. Uh, Q2 EPS was that beat. That was good. Uh, buck 19 versus buck 12. Sales number missed 816 versus 843 million dollars, but their guidance was very bad. Q3. EPS guidance, they gave a range of 96 to 98 cents. Estimate was at a buck 25. Sales guidance was fine, but the uh, EPS guidance for the quarter and the EPS guidance for the year, for that matter, were both very light. And that is your catalyst on Palo Alto. Do you ever hear the old saying, like, what a bull eats in a year, a bear scarfs in a day? Yes. Well, uh, for this one, it would be what a bull eats in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven months. A bear eats in three days here. You're getting a reset here uh, of 200, trading at 201. God, man, there's just someone. Buyers and sellers are just squaring off here, folks. I wish I could tell you which way to go on this one. Uh, you have support here at uh, 199. That's your pre-market low. You're just hanging out at 200. So there's still pressure on this thing. 200, a psychological level. Man, oh, man, got to go to the monthlies here. And I would see if they could flush them out under 200, take it to 196.29. That was your September low. And then see if you get a bounce there. So if you could really crack it under 200, 196.29 and then 192.17 are your next monthly lows. Uh, if you get someone, if you get a super aggressive buyer here and they can take it over, Let's call it 203.50. You might get some kind of run to the upside here, but a lot of pressure on PANW this morning. Four downgrades? Why couldn't you downgrade it before? But I guess they wait to see the uh, earnings reports. Well, that last time you checked it was like an hour ago. So yeah. there, could, <laughs> there could be more out by now. Yeah, I so. thought I saw more than that, but uh, that's what Spinner said. Uh, I see one, two, three, four. I see four, five. I see five. Okay. And uh, all right, uh, it's not it's not enough to make me super bullish. Like the what was the grub one? How many was that? Yeah, that was a lot. Let's let's look at that one because yeah. that that was a bullish indicator. Let's just go back to grub. It was on October thirtieth. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, nine downgrades between the 29th and the thirtieth. That is uh, actually strike that eleven downgrades. Wow. That that uh, and you know what I just took a glance at Grub here because you know it had the old uh, exploring strategic alternative saying, and it still went on to make a new high. So you know fifty eight and change in this thing. Usually when they're looking for strategic alternatives and they have no 
no alternative. They usually give it back, but uh, Grubhub here, I guess uh, people want when they can't leave their house and they're watching Zoom, they want food delivered uh, and, by Grubhub. Have you ever used Grubhub? No. They charge you like five bucks or something, don't you? Some well, outrageous well, remark. They got to make money. Got to make money, Joel. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, 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 I do want to uh, bring Nick Shaheen on here. Nick, uh, what are your thoughts on on this market? Um, it, nothing has changed except sentiment is a little freaked out. Last week in, in the chat room, we were discussing the fact that the media was setting this up um, by the, the way they're covering it. For the last two weeks, I've been saying, what are you buying? What are you buying? Uh, the impact is going to be big. Let's be patient. Both sides need to be cautious, uh, the bulls and the bears. Um, and it wasn't a reason to short all out, even though we, I was short biased uh, coming into this. Uh, so just now, it coincides with the, uh, the segment that CNBC had with Buffett that they scheduled like two weeks ago, but they've, they chose not to cover any of the bad stuff until when their programming fits it. So now everybody's on the bandwagon of the same stuff that was true two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Who didn't think that it was going to impact the PNLs when uh, uh, the biggest country on the planet, the second biggest economy on the planet, the growth engine of the world, quote unquote, um, for the last, I don't know, 10 years, China being closed two months, effectively completely closed. Um, it's yeah. just insane not to expect it. But now it's in the ticker tape. So we rely on the charts to see where the price levels are, where supports will kick in, and see if we can pick the next uh, TZ maker as far as the headlines. Um, Market-wide, I don't panic out of positions. I stick to the thesis. If I, I bought X stock for X reason, if, if, if that reason is still there, then I shouldn't worry about the dip. Nick, I want to ask you, I'd like to like to follow you on Twitter here. And, you know, you said, it, you know, it was a tough day yesterday, but you, you said if you're following, you know, the technicals, uh, that it was an easy day. And, um, I, you know, I had a couple levels that, you know, came into play. Of course, you know, you got to step ahead of the levels that you think are good levels. I just want to talk to you about timeframes of charts, and, you know, when, when you're, when you're looking at things, I mean, I, I try not to go, you know, shorter than a 15 minute. I like to look at my dailies and my weeklies and my monthlies, you know, uh, in, you know, always on the weekends for sure. The dailies every day, just talk to, talk to us about how, how you adjust your timeframes. The time frame depends on uh, what you're trying to, what I'm trying to do. And I think it said, I said it was an awesome day if you're a fan of the charts. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't gloating that it was an easy day. Hey, because nope. I happened to be short biased. Um, so as far as time frame, I, I, I almost never stick to one. It all depends. So huh. if I'm watching the day to day, the minute by minute action covering the, say the, the, the S and P contract, the ES, um, then I, I usually prefer the five minute for that. <clears throat> I rarely go to less than five minute on the VXX intraday. If I'm watching that. Um, if I'm looking at a chart for investment purposes, I usually start with the daily to get okay. an overall picture and then zoom in to the two hour, four hour, 30 minute, um, and then expand even to the weekly. You just did. You just went to the monthly on Pan, Pan what? Um, Palo Alto. Palo Alto. Um, and I agree with your comments exactly because I too zoomed out. I took the weekly and I got the same picture that around 200, it's a pivot zone. But yeah. if you're focusing on a small time frame, you miss that. 
you're panicking and trading <laughs> each tick. But if you zoom out, you pick the 196 ish. Uh, on it, it, that is the the last bounce level, and it's support until it fails. So, time frame is important, but rarely is there one that fits all. So it all depends on what I'm trying to do, and I usually use a whole bunch of them. Okay, that's that, that's uh, pretty much the answer I was looking for. Um, for your, uh, I know you like to do a lot of spreads, and uh, something that I that I've learned from you over the years. Do you are you always putting stuff in as an as spreads or do you kind of leg into them like I do? Funny you asked that because just last night um, we wanted to take a stab long for the overnight bounce. And I thought that a um, call diagonal in the SPY would be the right way to do it. And I said, I don't like to leg into spreads, especially if they're vertical spreads, but um, that, would, that was one that uh, I did. So for example, if I buy the call for <clears throat> May or April, at uh, 3.30, I can wait and see how the price action is developing to see when and where I want to sell the call against it that is shorter dated. Um, so the total, the total risk would then be once I take the spread is the net debit that I paid for the spread, but the makeup of it changes. Sometimes you get lucky. You, you buy the one leg and then you get a move in that direction and then you sell the second leg and you're almost free into it or even credit. Um, so those are great because it's a no lose situation. I just did a video on it last week for somebody. Okay. I think that it was Microsoft that they were playing with. Yeah, they, I they, um, there's an old saying from the floor, and I think it might be from Bob Wright about legging into a spread. But I don't think I, I can't think. I'll, I'll have to ask Dennis when he gets back. But it, it's something pretty funny. Um, I think one thing that uh, you know I kind of learned from you. I'm, my legs sometimes can be, you know, a little bit longer, you know, like, uh, for example, you know, I had some puts yesterday and I, I really didn't want to sell them. You know, I didn't, yeah. didn't want to cover the whole thing, but I was like, man, oh man, I just don't want this to erode. You know, I don't want to get back. And I made that mistake a couple of weeks ago uh, mm -hmm. when we had the bigger turnaround at the end of January and it just gives you another, you know, another option on an option. So I, I sold that, you know, the lower strike for a much higher price than I bought the original one. Mm -hmm. And then if I get a good feeling one way or another, I might, I might try and leg out of it. But I think that people that are doing options. I think that, you know, you don't, if you're unsure, I think I took off half and then I, and then I put a spread in on the other. And then it just kind of, you just know your P&L doesn't move as much. But I just think that's something that people should, and, should and, keep and in mind with trading options. It's also important to know the ticker. So example, yeah. FXY, the, the yen, I went long it um, based on the yen chart. Um, and I sold aggressive uh, put spread at the money and even a little bit in the money, uh, anticipating a bounce. And the dip yesterday in the market shot the yen up. So it was an immediate winner. But I wasn't comfortable with the ticker itself. It was my first in a long, long time to trade it. So I, you know, booked the profit early in the day. So I could have left it on, but I would not try to leg into or out of that ticker because I don't know it. Um, another example would be like the USO or the UUP. They're hard to trade as spreads. So I, I do single legs. So the point is, know your ticker before you decide how you trade it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we still got a few minutes here with Dick Shaheen. He's the author of Create Income with Option Spreads. Join us every other Tuesday to comment on the market. So we usually get a couple tickers in here. 
but I'll throw one out for you. I just lost a bet to Dennis on uh, Peloton here. And um, I don't know. I let my opinion get in the way. It was around 30, and it popped, and I took 35. He took 25. He finally got me on one of these. We ticked uh, we ticked 24.52 yesterday, um, and then boom, it was off to the races. So I lost on that. Any? Let's uh, let's pull up the chart here at Peloton. Nick can walk us through his analysis. Okay. So funny because I do put a lot of alerts when I go through charts. Uh, some on the upside, some on the downside. And I had an alert for Peloton that triggered yesterday. At the open, by the way, I had like 13 of them. Ping, 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 ping. <laughs> I was like, okay, so what do I do? I did nothing. I just said, you know what? I'll look at all of this later. I'm not going to do anything. That's interesting. One of, one, one of which was Peloton, but it, was, it said buy the dip. So that was yesterday at the open. And I wish I had looked at them because I would have made some money right away. Uh, um, I didn't. And that was my fault. So if you look left on the chart, and you look yesterday's low was almost exactly the neckline breakout. And um, I should have bought the dip. By, and I, my intention was to sell puts into the fear. And I totally missed it. So from a trading perspective, that was the opportunity there. If somebody wanted Peloton for the long term and, you know, kicked themselves, they didn't buy it earlier on the run. Uh, that would have been a good entry point uh, for the long term. As far as fundamentally, I'm worried a little bit because just this weekend I was at Costco, giant setup for Echelon. So yeah, yeah, there's competition. Out sounds there. like it, looks like it. Plus on TV, there's the other one, uh, Tonal. You know, uh, it looks pretty slick. It's got resistance and it comes out of the wall. So and it's interactive. Um, but it could be that the market is big enough to to accommodate all of them. But that would be a concern. However, yesterday was an opportunity missed on my part. Okay. Um, any other uh, well, question from the chat about, sure. about Dropbox? Question about Dropbox here from the chat. Okay. Um, let's count how long it takes Dix to get a chart in. Oh, okay. The chart is up. <laughs> so I don't have any markings on it because I haven't traded in a long time. The reaction was uh, fantastic. And, uh, you know, what, what concerns me about it is the fundamentals. I use it for convenience, but I will never pay them anything because I have the alternative. Now at 24, if you look left, that's a big ledge from which they fell back uh, a couple earnings ago, uh, August last year. So in my experience, when something comes up, um, I would have probably had a, um, a note there saying maybe you can fade it. Uh, so I wouldn't, this is not a, a starting point. When a stock recovers to a, a gigantic accident scene, it tends to face resistance just because, especially that in this case, it's also the point of control. So the, from a volume profile perspective, that's mathematically where most of the action happened in the last few months. Uh, so, um, it, 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 and if machines are actually doing most of the trading, the machines are going to wake up and say, hey, I traded here last, let's fight over it again, thereby creating congestion. So it was not an obvious starting point. So those who chase the, the pop, uh, probably made a mistake right away. However, long-term, they might have different opinions. And if they take out that line, then it becomes a trigger to go to 26, which where the next battle will lie. Uh, real quick, Nick, uh, someone in the chat wants to know what the blue and yellow bars are. And I, I would just have you. Right, Nick? On the left, that's the volume profile that I'm talking about. That orange line that cuts across the whole screen, that's a mathematical point of control. So if you want to do homework, learn volume profiles. If I have a couple of things I can keep on my charts, that's definitely one. I can get rid of all the other lines. I want levels and volume profiles, and, and those are the, the, the truth. Uh, the rest is just um, how you see things and how you draw the lines. 
You can draw them any which way you want to, to, to make your statement. But these don't lie. That's actual fact. That's basically, you know, the, the volume bars on the bottom tell on any chart tell you the volume when it happened. Those volumes on the left, the bars, tell you where they happened uh, relative to the price axis on the right. Is that Stottlemyre or is that a different volume profile? That's the basic volume profile that I pulled up from TradingView. TradingView. Uh, two stocks and then we're going to let you go. Uh, one is SBRA from Rob Hood. Always enjoys your analysis. SBRA. Yep. SBRA, that's the first one to me. Typical so, Rob Hood chart. Right. Knock on the door. Yeah, so uh, the opportunity is just above here, but you know, the, uh, and it's coming from lower, uh, um, higher lows. So just know your pattern and that it's the range is tightening. So something is going to happen. I can't tell you which way, but I can probably guess uh, what's going to happen after that. So it would be to monitor the levels and I'll put like here, I would put a, an alert at 2260. And if it hits, it comes and wakes me up. Hey, check it out. It should be going to um, the next level, which is about a dollar or maybe dollar fifty above it. <laughs> and uh, Uber update. Uber update. Uh, I haven't looked at it, so I'm true to myself there. Um, I was concerned. I am concerned of the impact. Uh, it should have a tremendous uh, impact from the virus spreading through the world because it is a world company. Uh, but long-term, it doesn't change the thesis. This virus is devastating to the people that are getting it. Um, I hope, you know, a few weeks ago, I said, we don't, we're not getting the right numbers from China just because they're just too perfect. Every time you do the math, it's 2% kill ratio. And it's just too perfect, in my opinion. So I said, if and when it jumps um, outside of China, then we will get the right stats. Um, so... Okay. I, I hope they stick to the 2% so Uber would just be fine long-term. But short-term, um, it, it, it's not an obvious starting point, and I'll tell you where it would be. Above 42, uh, then it might be getting a little more bullish posture. Uh, just because, like I said earlier, this was a neckline from which they collapsed not too long ago, uh, July, I think, of last year. Uh, so it's not, they don't usually slice through them like butter. All right, Nick Shaheen is the author of Create Income with Option Spreads. You can also find his work at sellspreads.com. Nick, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the next one. All, All right. right. Thanks, Nick. All right. Lots of earnings here. Let's go. Let's, let's rip through Let's them. go to Shake Shack. For a long time, we wondered why the stock traded such a high multiple. The earnings are not good this morning. Uh, well, I, I should rephrase. The earnings were okay. The EPS, um, six cents. Uh, and the uh, the sales missed a, a 151 versus $153 billion, but the guidance was bad. Uh, their comps were down 3.6% on a year-over-year -year basis, so they're slowing growth. You never want to see slowing growth. Uh, guidance was below estimates here. Not a good report at all Not for at Shake all. Shack, and I guess it doesn't have that as high of a multiple anymore. If that was your argument, yeah, was your down ten dollars and thirty-seven cents. Uh, boom, broke to seventy-two. All hell broke loose there. Can't really tell you the low it's in because we're resting just off the lows of the pre-market session. Your last print sixty-three twenty. Your low sixty-two fifty-three. You're filling a gap in here. Do you want to be super patient on this one? Hold out for sixty bucks. Don't have an exact number there, but I got a. Uh, yeah, let's call four lows, five lows, 
six lows, seven lows, eight lows, nine lows, 10 lows, 11 rows, 11 lows in a row. Jesus. Between, I just kept on moving up on my data window and they kept on popping in there between 59 and 61. So, hey, you don't have to be a, a math and magician to make 60. Uh, good support if you get a chance to buy it down there and Shake Shack either covering the short or thinking about a potential long. All right, HPQ is trying to fend off uh, Xerox here this morning with their report, their earnings uh, that reported or yesterday after the bell. The earnings were, were fine. EPS uh, beat, sales missed, guidance was in line, but beyond that, they are buying back fifteen billion dollars of stock trying to deliver that shareholder value and fend off a takeover from Xerox. Uh, you got a big old boost in this heavily traded stock. Uh, wow, man, all the way up to 2346. That's, that's a big move for the stock. It did have big volume, but if you think about how much this trades during a daily session, you need a lot of stock to do that. So that high could be safe. Uh, what I'm looking at, though, is uh, you had a pop, I think, on one of the uh, initial takeovers at 22.87. You're opening into that right now, currently trading at 22.85. Seller step down. I don't know, uh, JV spec, if you're in the house, do you have anything at 23 in this one? Uh, so this one, let's say we open up in this area. You want to see it go 2290, 23, even 2310 bid, and then not dip back under 23. You get a little whoops trade there. Um, just long term, I'll just re you know repeat Dennis's uh, thesis on this one because he said he's just worried that HBQ is gonna. He what he was in it. He was long it. He rang the register. He just doesn't know if they're gonna flip the switch and then try and buy Xerox. And if you did, you would have you know the acquire you know, taking some heat on that one. So there's a little bit of fundamental and uh, technical perspective on HPQ. I liked it. Ooh, 200K at 23, says JV Spec. So see what happens on there. Thank you, JV. Uh, let's go away from earnings for a second here. Neo, quote unquote, the Tesla of China, got some much needed funding uh, yesterday. They raised $1.42 billion dollars and uh, the Bernstein likes it, upgrading them to neutral this morning, giving it a four dollar price target. Um, so, what do you do at five twenty four? If it's a four dollar price target, what do you do at five twenty four? You sell. I always ask that. Yeah, question. I don't know. I, don't, I have I don't no idea. <laughs> you guys follow this stock. I know Spinner does. They go for the W. I don't really follow this one that much. It has been riding the heels of uh, the Tesla train. Uh, trading at the highs of the pre-market session, five and a quarter. Uh, boom. What's that little spike high? That must have been the day that um, Tesla made its all-time high. Uh, five, five sixty-five. Uh, there's your target. Now, let's see. This looked uh, be interesting. It hit five sixty-five on January twenty-second. And when did Tesla make its all-time high? Tesla made its all-time high. Nope, that was after that, 968.99. So keep an eye out, 565-N-I-O. We didn't do Home Depot yet. I forgot about Home that entirely. Depot. Yep, let's do Home Depot right now. They're reporting this Six morning. Sticks. Uh, EPS, $2.28 versus a $2.11 estimate, so beat on that number of sales. 25.78 is the slightest of beats on the estimate there. Uh, they're also raising their dividend. 
uh, their quarterly dividend from a buck thirty-six to a buck fifty per share. Uh, nice spike up seven dollars and eighteen cents. That's a big old move for a big old stock trade three, four, five million a day. Uh, a buck. A buck twenty off your pre-market high, right on the nose at two forty-eight. Uh, two two forty. Uh, the two forty-eight even, uh, right on the nose. Uh, maybe this one instead of trying to short it up here, maybe throw like a low ball bid in here because uh, there might be some offers stacking up all the way from two forty up to two forty-seven, and then the uh, the designated market maker scoops up all those offers. I'm just giving a hypothetical scenario here, 243, and then rockets it straight up. But uh, once again, maybe JV Speck could uh, take a look at the book in that one. Uh, there are a couple more earnings, but if you have any you'd like us to hit, drop them in the chat right now. Let's go to LL, Lumber Liquidators. Lumber Liquidators. Either this EPS is not comparable or they just blew it away. $0.56 cents per share is what they made last quarter versus a $0.15 cent estimate. Sales of two seventy eight versus $272 million. So, again, the earnings number is either not comparable or it's a massive beat. So the first thing I do when I look at this, I'm like, why the heck did this go to 11.84 two days ago? Yeah, I don't know. And I go to my trusty Benzinga Pro, and that would have been Nothing. Monday, right? Because no, today is Tuesday, so that would have been Friday. Uh, Friday. Oh, there was some like dumb chatter on Reddit, but I wouldn't know. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you have created some overhead supply here, but let's see what the close was. The close of that big day was ten forty-five. So you hold ten forty-five here. Boom. Maybe get a little shot up test at eleven eighty four, but man, a lot of movement in a ten dollar stock. So we'll see what happens. Wait, I would like to know. Uh, go for the W. Do you actually do you actually think that the Wall Street Bets community is large enough to to move this thing? Uh, Wall Street Bets, for those who don't know, is a, a community. I'm actually in the community, but I don't I don't participate. I'm just a lurker, and it's just a it's a. It's a forum on Reddit that uh, makes fun of the market, make fun of each other. They make fun of stocks and the entire thing. It's just a bunch of trolls who are joking about the market and, and trading and uh, losing money a lot of time. And, that, and that's, that's the joke. Um, uh, I, I don't know if, if, if that's actually a large enough community to bid. Oh, we, got, we have someone here from Wall Street Bets. Okay, well, uh, it's, it's a highly entertaining, highly engaging community, but not at all serious um, so know that if you're going to venture there, the entire thing is one giant joke, which is part of why I, I enjoy it uh, okay. personally. Yeah. I'm not, uh, yeah, not familiar with that yeah. site. Uh, but, uh, it's just interesting that, you know, you're at your close from that day at 1045 right now. So important to hold that off the hop, uh, in pre-market trade. I mean, it's right there. Bulls and bears are battling pre-market high 1069. Well, let's do Tupperware. It is the number one stock on my down scanner Tupperware. here this morning. TUP uh, down last I checked around 21%. Uh, they had earnings yesterday uh, and <laughs> the guidance was light. And this is one that I forget exists all the time. Oh, but. man. Oh. <laughs> down a buck 38. I mean, pull up the monthly on this one. Okay. Spencer. I mean, you got a ski slope there. Oh, my goodness, $70. <laughs> That's a trend right there, folks. Straight down from 70 If you're short, figure out where you want to buy it. You're crashing through the former low of the move. Well, let's see. 
542 was a form of lower the move. Use that as resistance. This new all-time low for it. So I don't know. Pick where you want to wow. buy it if you want to cover a short. Maybe layer into it, but uh, not looking good on the weekly, daily, monthlies, or any kind of chart that uh, you can pull up. Yeah. All right, uh, Joel, final thoughts here for the market today. We seem to be stabilized. At the least market's spunky. It, uh, it, it, it's really been all over the place, uh, getting up to 59.50 overnight. Uh, that low was made right on the open at 14 and a quarter. I think bulls would be in firm control of today's session if you could clear that pre-market high as it coincides with the yesterday's high from yesterday. I'm on the downside. Mid range is 24, 20, wait, 32, uh, 37. But you traded through it so much, it kind of loses its validity. Uh, so maybe if you're looking to get in this on the cheap and you don't want to hold out for that potential triple bottom, at 6 a.m. this morning, we hit 32.20 and a quarter. So a lot of volatility in here. Love, 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 love an inside day here. Uh, and actually, we could get it. If why? We, why would you love that? Because it's just it. Because it, a, a good play the following day. Okay. You know, the, the market digests, calms down, and then you know you could play it. It really wouldn't be an inside day because your your pre market high was up at thirty three twelve, but that inner day high. I mean, that's when a lot of the volume comes in too. So keep an eye on that. Uh, 30, 32.59.50, uh, just under your intraday high from yesterday at 32.60. All right. I want to thank our guests today, Nick Shaheen and Dimitri Pargamanic. If you want a discount of our Benzinga Pro, which is our real-time news platform, click on the link in the description of this video on YouTube. That'll get you a free trial and a subsequent discount should you choose to subscribe. You can always catch our podcast of the show or rewatch us on YouTube. Email us, premarket at benzinga.com. Give us a call. Leave us a voicemail, 734-494-0246. That's all I've got today. Everyone have a great rest of your Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.